I was. I want to welcome you guys who are here for the first time. Uh, welcome to New Covenant Fellowship. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And we pray that you've already been blessed by his presence and by our hospitality. And we pray that you'll be blessed uh, by his presence as we, we continue to move forward. My name is C.J. Ellis. I'm the senior pastor here at New Covenant. And that lady who keeps harassing me is my wife. Actually, she's my girlfriend. You know, I was thinking about this. I've actually dated her longer than I've been married to her. And we're still dating, by the way. I'm still trying to convince her. Now, we're married. We've been married for 23 years. But I'm just still trying to convince her that she needs to... Well, never mind. <laughs> but I just praise God for my woman. You know, she, they, I appreciate the women, the, the conference they had uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago. Heard it was awesome. Uh, I got to see, get little tidbits of it, peek in here and there. But I just appreciate uh, my wife. Uh, I told her, I said, not only do I have a beautiful wife, but I have an anointed one as well. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that's my wife, Lisa. And you'll find our children somewhere around here. We've got a bunch of them. All right. Okay, let's turn to James chapter 1. And again, we were going to continue talking about one of the most awesome passages in the Word of God, one that we all get excited about. Remember? Remember? We're all excited about this passage, right? James chapter 1, out of the NIV, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So right here, the Bible says that we can consider it pure joy when we are going through various trials. Can I get an Amen. Now, this is one of those verses I shared before that I had a problem with. I didn't know it was in the Bible. And, and back when I was in college, I was a young Christian. And I was going through a very severe trial. It was so severe that I don't even remember what it was. But I know it was, it was pretty severe. And um, I came across this verse. I decided to read James chapter 1. I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit set up. He does that. And I was reading and I came across this verse. Consider it pure joy. And I happened to be reading the NIV translation. And I came across pure joy, and I'm like, are you kidding? God, come on now. This has got to be metaphorically speaking, right? He said, no. (laughs) He really meant what he said. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We started last week. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you, you can listen to it. I believe you can listen to it or watch it. Actually, I know you can watch it on our podcast on the internet because I I watched it this week. Uh, So you can watch it so you can catch it because I'm not going to be going through everything that I went through last week. Uh, That'd be redundant. But uh, you can check it out. But uh, how, how is this possible? You know, I had a, a challenging situation. You know, when you preach certain things or, or share with somebody about certain things, you have to be careful because you might get a pop quiz. You know what I'm talking about? And I had one of those pop quizzes. Um, test, a trial. Fortunately, it didn't last long, but it wasn't fun while it lasted. Uh, Tuesday night, took my wife out. We went to uh, have a gyro. And it was good, delicious. We had a great time, just a time to connect and have a good time together. And all was good until about one o'clock in the morning. And I was jolted out of a dead sleep. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit either. 
woke up and all of a sudden, you know that feeling, your stomach, you know that feeling? It's like, oh my goodness, and ran into the bathroom and I was there for a while, let me say. And then, so all night long, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was thinking, was that gyro really that good? Was it worth it? And um, that started from 1 o'clock, and it lasted the whole thing. I finally went to sleep at 9 a.m. that morning. Finally went to sleep. But about 6.15, everything was calm. Life was great. Laying in bed, going to sleep. Fell asleep. And all of a sudden, I was jolted out of a sleep. My nose started burning. Like, my goodness, what is that smell? Now, we have two labs, two big dogs. They're, they're huge, big dogs. And apparently, my dog got a hold of that gyro. Well, actually, he really didn't, but he might as well have. And next thing I know, there's just a big mess, just boom. I mean, it's on the wall. It's like, What? Now, what verse came to mind? (laughs) That is exactly what I want to do. I was so mad at that dog. Man, I was so mad at that dog. And of course, that verse, you know, consider pure. I don't want to hear it right now. No, I don't want to hear it. I don't even want to think it. I just blocked that verse totally out of my mind, best I could. But it's like, man, what is going on? And so finally, it took me about 30, 40 minutes to clean that up. And then I finally went to sleep and... And we're all happy. And I still have two dogs that are living. So, <laughs> But, you know, sometimes life will hit you like that. Man, you're just out of nowhere. And it's always inconvenient. You're not going to say, could you have waited until I was at least awake until I got you outside? I mean, come on, dog. Be smart. You know, life doesn't, trials don't work that way all the time. They are always inconvenient. 100% of the time, trials are inconvenient. 100%. So you can write that down if you're taking notes. Trials are 100% all the time inconvenient, and we all know that, right? But we act like, and the Bible tells us, don't be surprised when trials come your way. But what happens every time a trial comes your way? What? Why is this happening to me? Happen to somebody else. That's what we really want to pray, right? At that time, you're thinking of, like, when when that stuff was all over my carpet, that's when you start thinking of your enemies. (laughs) That you wish this could happen to. But it's like, God, why me? And why now? And the Bible tells us not to be surprised when we encounter various trials. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I believe it's uh, John 16. He says, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that in me you can have peace. I'm paraphrasing. You can have, in me you can have peace. He said, in this world you will have trials. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He didn't say, because I've overcome the world, you won't have trials anymore, because I've taken care of it. He said, you will have troubles or trials in this world. So ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a revelation. You will have trials in this world. They will not stop until we are in our final destination with him. So... The fact is we're going to have them. There's nothing we can do. Now, some of you can try what many people do. We talked about this last week. Some people say, well, you know what? I don't pray for patience. Because every time you pray for patience, and so those of you who have decided to try that say, I'm not praying for patience. So is that working for you? You're not having any trials, right? 
I mean, I hear that all the time. It's like, oh, don't pray for patience. Why not? Because, man, every time I pray for patience, trials come. Like, hmm, I haven't prayed for patience, and (laughs) they still come. So, brothers and sisters, trials will come. The problem is, or the challenge is, is what are we going to do with them? What are we going to do when they come? Now, the, the situation with my dog and that whole, that, you know, it only lasted a few hours. That wasn't a big deal when you look at the scope of things, but... And when you look at that verse, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, you can think, like I was thinking, God, you can't be serious. You can't mean big stuff, like, big, like financial stuff, like big, giant bankruptcy, you know, or marital challenges, divorce, and, and marital conflict, and uh, death, death to loved ones, sudden death, tragedies, abuse, all these kinds of things. He can't mean that. Or can he? Is it just the, the, the small situations, or does he mean every single trial that we go through consider it pure joy? And I believe he means every single trial. And if we can understand that there's a reason. You know, at the end of that verse, it says, let's see what verse in, I'm read the Amplified. Consider it holy joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. Trials have a purpose. They have a purpose. They have a purpose. Now let me, let me make something plain God doesn't bring all these tri- all your trials upon you. You want to make that clear. Because when we go through things, a hard situation, the, some people, the first reaction is, God, why are you doing this to me? When your car breaks down on the side of the road, God, why are you doing this to me? Let me ask you a question. The car that you're driving or the car that you used to drive that may still be on the side of the road, when you bought that car, were you given 100% guarantee that that car was going to last forever? They don't, la- they don't make them to last forever, do they? They're not supposed to last forever because then we put a bunch of people out of work. You want you to buy a car, you don't need anymore. They're not made to last forever. So guess what? They're going to break down. They're going to break down. It doesn't have to be a, a spiritual warfare. It can just be a timing belt. Like, I rebuke, no, don't rebuke the timing belt. You need that. But the point I'm trying to make is sometimes <clears throat> things happen because things happen, things break down. Dogs get sick. So the point I want to make is God doesn't do all this to us. Now, there are some things that God does. I believe God is all about, he's in the midst of. I've experienced some of those. Some of you have experienced some of those. Some of you might be experiencing one right now. But I just want to encourage you that we can't just all of a sudden when we're going through something. Like, for example, if I get myself in a major debt and I'm having financial problems and I say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? If I've got myself in a debt, God didn't have anything to do with that, did he? But we always shake our fist at God and say, God, I thought you loved me. We get ourselves in trouble, and then we expect God to bail us out. He doesn't, and then we shake our fist at God, and we get mad, and we turn away from him. That's what a lot of people do. 
And I bet many of you know people who have done that. They've gotten offended at God because he didn't answer their prayers or do things the way they expected. Or things happen, tragedies happen, they blame God, and then they turn away from him. They turn away from the very one who can help them the most. It's crazy. Actually, it's insane. It's insanity. When we turn away from him, the one who can help us, and we turn away from him because we get mad and blame him for the circumstances. But right here in this passage, it says that when we go through various trials, it's going to work perseverance, and it's going to work maturity in us. How many of you want to, let's say if we all became Christians today, boom, or yesterday. Okay, so we're one day, we're brand new babies in Christ. How many of you would want to stay that way for the next 10 years? You want to stay a baby? You know, sucking the bottle, you know, sucking your thumb, all that kind of stuff. None of us would. We want to grow. You know, fast forwarding 10 years, we would hope that we're still not sucking on bottles, but that we're chewing on meat. We're more mature, right? We all want to mature, right? Correct? Well, here's one of the maturing mechanisms that God has put into place. It's called trials. And so we can understand that there is a purpose, even my broken down car, that's not God's fault. There's even a purpose. The Bible says that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a cool verse right there. So God doesn't cause the car to break down all the time. There may be some some supernatural cases every once in a while. I'm not going to rule that out. But God doesn't necessarily cause the car to break down, but in that situation, he can cause it to work together for your good and his glory. Isn't that cool? See, if I'm not a Christian, I don't have that guarantee. It says those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the cool promise that I have and what I can rest in is that if any trial that I go through, even if I brought it upon myself, if I cooperate and do the right thing or right things, which we'll talk about, then God promises that he'll cause it to work together for good. And that trash can turn into a triumph. That mess can turn into a message if we cooperate. Because there are conditions. We have to cooperate with God. Every trial that comes my way is not going to make me mature. Unless there are certain things that I do. You know, you might have heard the statement, a trial will make you better or bitter. It'll be one or the other. And you get to choose which is it going to be. Because, see, your reaction or your response will guarantee or put into motion what's going to happen, the outcome of that trial. I mean, what typically happens when a trial comes? Well, let me tell you what typically happens to me. Start grumbling, griping, complaining, whining, fussing. Why me? Why not you? And what does the Bible say? Do all things without. That's another one of those verses like, God, come on now. You, you don't really mean. I mean, don't you know what just happened? I mean, I can grumble a little bit, can I? Just a couple of words. And what used to happen to me is I would, when a situation would happen, and I'm not talking about the little ones, I'm talking about the big ones, the ones that hit you in the gut, knock the wind out of you. It's like, man, and you start the, you start the whining cycle, the whining phase, where you're just whining and, man, why this, and blah, 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 blah. And then what I would do is I'd do the whining phase for a period of time, 
The longer we go back, the longer the period of time was that I whined. And then I would finally get in his presence. Okay. Perspective changes. The whining stops. Perspective changes. Submission, repentance, walking with him, things change. Whether the circumstances change or they stay the same, everything else has changed. My attitude. And a lot of times I've seen, boom, the situation just goes away or it gets turned around. Where there was no provision, provision happens. Or whatever the circumstance is, there's that cycle. God has always 100% been faithful. He's always been faithful. Go through a trial, submit to God. He works things out, either my attitude or the situation or both, and it's all good. And so I began to notice this, this pattern I had gotten myself into, that I would do the whining thing, like a ritual. And you know, to be honest with you, whining feels good, because if it didn't, we wouldn't do it. Whining is destructive. And it's grumbling, complaining, all that stuff's just destructive, but it feels like a, a perverse satisfaction that comes with that. Like, it's all about me. And that's all we're doing. We're worshiping ourselves. Oh, soul, you have it so hard. Hallelujah, thank you. And when we just go into this, this self-pity. But I begin to recognize this pattern. It's like, man, why do I have to keep doing that? And I say, God, please help me. Because it's like logic. Okay whining, which has nothing to do with the outcome as far as the, the, the uh, provision. The whining does not convince God to move. You realize that? And I think that might be a big reason why we do it, that God will look and say, oh, you poor thing. Oh, you look so miserable. Oh, here, here's, here's a Kleenex. Oh, you poor thing. Now, God, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands our pain. But the whining... And the grumbling, complaining, don't move him. He didn't say, you know what? You've grumbled so long, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to deliver. I'm, you know what? I'm going to throw a bunch of cash at you because you've been whining so much. It doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, whining and grumbling, complaining is destructive. And you know, the Lord gave me revelation one time what whining was to me. I mean, in other words, what I was doing. When I'm going through a situation and I'm whining, I am yelling in God's face, God, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. That's what I'm yelling in God's face when I'm whining, griping, complaining. And man, when, I, when the Holy Spirit told me that, it's like, ooh, kind of hurt right there. Conviction. Now, that didn't heal me. I mean, that didn't mean I totally stopped. But it definitely put a check on it, and it definitely helped me to endeavor to minimize. And see, whereas before, if I whined for, let's say, if I did 10 ounces of whining, now maybe it's three. But my desire is to get rid of it. I'm not there. I'm not even close yet. But it doesn't do any good. When you look in the Old Testament and see the example of people who God made these wonderful promises to, I'm delivering my people out of bondage because I have some awesome stuff that I want them to experience. Out of Egypt, into the promised land. That was his will and his desire. On the way, they experienced some things. They experienced his miracles, first of all, and then they experienced some, some challenges. 
And what did they immediately do? They begin to immediately grumble, complain, that kind of thing. And you see how the wonderful thing about that story is you see how patient God was. Because they tested him over and over and over and over and over. And God ministered to him. He helped them. He knew where they were. He knew where their, their maturity was, was really, 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 really low. But what happened, though, is that immaturity, it's okay to be immature as long as you understand, okay, God, I'm immature, but help me, I'm moving towards you, as long as that immaturity doesn't turn into rebellion. And see, that's what happened with them. It turned into flat-out rebellion. And they were just like in God's face, and man, you brought us out here to die. We're going to raise up leaders for ourselves and go back. And just, just kind of mocking God. And then the judgments came. And it wasn't pretty. So we can get a picture of, of how God, matter of fact, we're, we're warned in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10. The, uh, Paul's talking, or 9, I think it's 9. Talking about the example, or maybe it's Romans. It's in the New Testament somewhere. <laughs> the more I think about it, it's like, where is, anyway, where Paul's talking about the example that they were before us, the children of Israel. And we see what they did as far as the grumbling, complaining, and there was, there was some some harsh judgments. So I just want to encourage you, whining and grumbling, complaining, it isn't, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But I want to say this. Actually, well, I'll get to that in a minute. No, I'm going to say it right now so I don't forget. In God's presence, when it's just you and him, he can handle it. Because I think David did a lot of whining and stuff in God's presence. But if you notice David's situation, he would start out whining and he would end up praising. Remember that? God, why could you, how could you do this? How, why have you left me? I mean, God, what's going on? You've made my enemies triumph over me. And he's just whining and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, he's praising God. You are awesome. You are awesome. The one place where you can whine and grumble and complain or is your heart to God. But I guess the destructive kind of whining is when it's to other people. When you're whining and with other people. And with no intention of getting help, no intention of resolving, but just you just want to spread the poison. You just want to throw up all over everybody. That's not good stuff. Because that's, that's uh, infectious and it causes, just like in the children of Israel, it caused rebellion to run rampant in the camps. Started with a few people and it spread like wildfire. So we need to be careful about that. So what do we do if we want to, because first of all, trials can be worked out for our good, for our maturity. They're going to they're mature us to be effective ministers. And like I said last week, every single one of you who are Christians are in the ministry. You have been called into the ministry. Now, ministry doesn't always look like standing up in front of people preaching. That's what, When we think ministry, that's the first default that many of us have. Well, I'm called into the ministry, so I'm called to preach or be a pastor or be a missionary. Maybe, but that's not what we're talking about. Every Christian is called into the ministry. Every single one of us. Some of it may look like preaching, pastoring, missionary, uh, youth ministry, that kind of thing. Most of it doesn't. Most ministry doesn't look like what I'm doing up here. But since we are all called into the ministry, God wants us to be effective ministers for his kingdom. Because remember, ministry is reaching people, right? Jesus called us to be fishers of men. He's called us to reach people. If we're going to reach people, it's not just with words. It's not just going to people and telling them, convincing them of a message. 
but it's demonstrating his kingdom. And the more we mature and grow in him, the more we're going to be able to demonstrate his kingdom. And so he has put things in the place that's going to help us mature. So what do we need to do? What do we do when we find ourselves in trials? First thing, I mentioned it last week. I won't go into a lot of detail, but our perspective has to change. Our perspective has to change. And I gave you the illustration like this carpet. If you look down at this carpet, you'll see little naps. And let's say each one of those naps, if you were to break one up, it probably has maybe 100 fibers in it. And let's say each one of those fibers represents 90 years. That represents your your lifespan. And there's probably 100 fibers in that nap, which means 100 times 90. And then you can imagine how many naps are in this sanctuary. And all the carpet represents eternity. And one little fiber represents your lifespan. And what happens is, or the cool thing or the bad thing, depending on how we react or respond, how we live in that little fiber determines how we live in eternity. So I make the decision to follow Jesus. I commit my life to him and I walk with him the 90 years or however many years I'm a Christian. Then guess what I get for the whole eternity? I get some cool stuff. I get to be with him. If I reject Jesus and say no to him, and I decide I want to live it up, I want to enjoy my 90 years. I want to enjoy what we mean by doing what I want, basically. I may have fun. I may be blessed. or Well, I'm not going to say blessed. I may accumulate a lot of wealth. I may accumulate fame and riches and all that kind of stuff. And I may last, well, let's say 50 years. That 50 years is gone, then what? I'm going to live a whole lot longer in eternity than I am on this planet. But the thing is, is because our perspective is how we're living now is everything. This is everything. So many people live for now. I want to feel good now. I want to enjoy life now. I want the goods now. So when suffering comes or pain comes, it's like, whoa, this is not part of the plan. And unfortunately, even in a lot of Christian doctrine, maybe more charismatic doctrine, we have no place for trials and suffering. Because if I had faith, I wouldn't be suffering. If I had faith, I wouldn't be going through this trial. Or I need to, the, when my faith gets stronger, then this trial is going to go away. Jesus said, you will have troubles in this world. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Now, there are certain trials, there are, there are certain tests, that, I mean, uh, attacks that we can withstand and we can fight against. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm not talking about spiritual attacks, so to speak. Because we can resist. We can stand firm. So we have to change our perspective and see things from a kingdom perspective. Amen. I go into more detail last week. So if you want to look on the internet, you can watch that. The second thing is we have to understand that trials have a purpose. They're not just little inconveniences. And I, if I begin to understand that, then it's going to help. It's not going to make it all nice and fun, but it's going to help when my perspective changes. So what are we supposed to do when we face a trial? What are some practical things we can do? I want to get into practical thing. Number one. Get your soul under control. Get your soul 
under control. When you get hit with a trial, what's the first thing? Reaction. Your soul is made up of your mind, will, and emotions. And the first thing is, you know, when the grumbling, complaining, the screaming, the ah, the agony, see, that's your soul. And it gets loud. And some people, you may wonder why, you know, I prayed, I mean, I'm in this trial, I've been praying and praying, I'm not hearing God. Well, it's not that God's not speaking, it's it's that you can't hear Him because your soul is turned up way too loud. Your emotions are, are, are loud and clear, and that's all you can hear. So it's like God's volume is down here, your soul is up here, you can't hear God. He may be speaking to you, but you can't hear Him. And you're just all stirred up and angry and, and frustrated. And see, it's not that those emotions are wrong. The emotions alert you that there's a problem. But it's how we respond with those emotions. So the first thing we have to do is we have to get our soul under control. We have to get it quiet. How do we do that? Praise, worship, praying in tongues. Those are three that I wrote down. Those are not the only three things you can do. You can do other things, but those to me are are the most powerful. Praise, worship, praying in tongues. One of my favorite stories, and I want to encourage you to write this down. It's in, I believe it's 1 Kings chapter 30. Excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 30. David, King David, well, he wasn't a king at that time. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't a king. But he and his men, they were out beating up the enemy. They came home and realized that their town had been burned down. And their women and children were kidnapped, gone. The enemy came in, took their families, and destroyed their town. So when David and his men come back after fierce battles and everything, they're ready to just enjoy their families and have a good time, some barbecue and all that kind of stuff. Family's gone. They're all gone. And then they realized what happened, and they became so distraught. I mean, imagine you come home, and your, your family's kidnapped, and your house is burned to the ground. Imagine the emotions that would be screaming. The men were so distraught, they cried until they had no more strength to cry. And then they wanted to kill their leader. So it's like when you get so distraught, you want to vent it on somebody. Somebody's got to take the brunt of my frustration. So they turn to their leader, and they're going to kill him. So if you think they were distraught, how distraught do you think David was? Because his family was gone too. But yet his buddies, I mean the guys that they'd done battle together, they wanted to kill him. And what did David do? That's why I love this story. I mean the epitome of emotional discouragement. And the Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Or one translation says he encouraged himself. Nobody was around to encourage David. See, sometimes when you find yourself in a trial, you may have to face that trial all by yourself because of a a circumstance or whatever. You may be in it all by yourself. You may not be able to call your spouse. You may not be able to call a friend for whatever reason. And so you may find yourself in a situation where you're by yourself. Now, the cool thing is, is as Christians, we are not by ourselves, are we? Who has been sent to be with us forever? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go, it's to your advantage. I'm going to go and send back the helper, Holy Spirit. He will be with you always. He will be your comforter, your helper. 
So we don't have to worry about being by ourselves. But David was by himself. And so what he did, the Bible says he encouraged himself. He went to God. He wasn't by himself. Physically he was. Spiritually he said, God, I need help. He cried out to God. Cried out to God. There might have been some whining and fussing and cussing, all that kind of stuff in that. We don't know what all he did. But the end result was he was strengthened in the Lord. And then the end result was they went, found the enemy. They found the enemy. They overtook the enemy, wiped them out, and got their, their families back. They won. They prevailed over the enemy. Got everybody back, spoils and all. The turning point was David encouraged himself in the Lord. Let me ask you this question. What do you think would have been the end result if David had not encouraged himself in the Lord? You ever think about that? Huh? Disaster. I mean, his family, the families probably would have stayed captive. It would have been a different result. Many of us are missing our prize because we don't do the encouraging ourselves in the Lord. So we're missing out on a prize, on the the result that God wants, because we're not doing something right here that he has ordained to help and strengthen us so that we can walk with him in faith and claim and grab a hold of what he wants for us, his promise. So that's that's why this is so important. Praise and worship. Why we play such an emphasis? Because see, praise and worship, it brings God's presence. That's why that is so valuable to us here. That is one of our core values. Why we spend a lot of time in worship. That's why we have worship nights. Some people are like, that's boring. Let's just get to the good stuff. That is the good stuff. It's not just about singing songs, but it changes the atmosphere. It brings about an atmosphere, and that atmosphere is called the kingdom of heaven, called God shows up. The Bible says God shows up when his people praise. Paraphrasing. God shows up when his people praise. Now, you might be thinking, well, I thought God was already there. Yeah. So then how can he show up? He does. How's that? Special manifestation of his presence. There's his omnipresence where he's everywhere, and then there's a special manifestation of his presence that happens. So when you're in a trial, you're going through whatever, the best thing you can do, I believe the first thing you can do is begin to worship him, begin to praise him. Begin to pray in tongues. That's what I do is pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues. I remember one time I got hit with a a financial situation pretty big. It was bigger than the $3,700. And it caught me by surprise, and it was like someone just hit me right in the stomach. Boom. Guys, you ever been, my boys call it wind knocked, where you get the wind knocked out of you? You ever had that happen? (laughs) You can't breathe. And you you panic because you think you're going to die because you think you're never going to be able to breathe again. It is a terrifying experience. And it may be seconds, but it seems like an eternity when you can't breathe. Well, when that situation, when I found out about the situation, that's what I felt. felt like someone just, boom, right in the gut, and I couldn't breathe. My emotions started screaming. And the only thing I knew, and it was funny because, well, it wasn't funny, but at that time, I happened to be preaching or talking, teaching on, on what to do when you're in challenges. And 
The Holy Spirit said, what have you been talking about these last few Sundays? It wasn't that he didn't know. He was reminding me, I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) I actually have to do that? So anyway, I began to pray in tongues, prayed in tongues, prayed in tongues. I prayed in my spiritual language that I believe God wants for every one of his kids. Another sermon, another time. I began to pray in tongues, and it took me over two hours, because remember, my emotions had spiraled down so much. I was so distraught, so frustrated, so discouraged. It took me two hours of doing nothing but praying in tongues to get to ground zero. That's just to level back out. I wasn't happy. I wasn't fired up. I wasn't, all that. I was just back to ground zero. It took me two hours. So I was able to get back to the point, okay, see clearly. Just continue to pray, begin to worship. Not pray, well, pray in tongues, begin to worship, and all of a sudden, things change. My perspective changed. I was like, you know what? Hmm, money. And I said, Lord, if I ever, I mean, if I never get out of this situation, it is not going to stop me from honoring you. And when I said that, I wasn't playing games. I wasn't kidding. I wasn't just being spiritual, hoping he'd hear me and change the circumstances. I got to a place in my soul where my soul was ready to submit. I said, God, you are everything. And I don't know how many hours it took me to get to that point. But I got to that point. And the cool thing was, a week later, the whole situation turned around. God worked it out. It just, boom, just worked out. I remember a time when, uh, I shared this before, uh, years back, when I was, I used to work for Tom down in Chandler, and I was heading down there. And I was, I forgot to allow time to be able to stop by the gas station to put gas in my car. So, I'm driving there, and I leave just in, enough time to, get, to leave and get there on time. So I was going to be on time. Actually, I was on time. As I'm passing the gas station, I'm looking at the, the fuel gauge. I have a decision to make. Like, hmm. Stop by the gas station and get gas and be late? Or not get gas and be on time? I decided to be on time. What? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so anyway, is that, you know, I have a great day at work, awesome time. Well, as you guys, those of you who've lived in Oklahoma, you know how our weather, our weather is awesome. We had this weird cold front come through, and it was in the fall. It wasn't cold season yet. Matter of fact, I believe it was like in the 80s, 70s, 80s. And all of a sudden, we had one of those. Now, if I would have asked my wife, she would have told me, warned me, but I didn't ask her. I didn't think about it. But a cold front came through. One of those weird ones that where the temperature drops like 70 degrees. I mean, I don't know if it was that drastic, but it was one of those. And, of course, I wasn't dressed according to that. Um, Had on probably just a shirt, long sleeve shirt. Anyway, so that afternoon, this cold front comes through, and it starts sleeting. And it's just cold. The wind, you know the Oklahoma wind? When the wind comes sweeping down. Anyway. That, that kind of wind with the, I mean, it was cold. It just got nasty. So anyway, have a great day at work. I'm on my way back up to um, home, and I know I'm going to have to go to Agra to get gas. Well, guess what happened? I didn't make it to Agra. 
there's about a, I think it's five miles. I forget, it's been a while since. But I believe from Tom's house to the gas station in Agra is five miles, I believe. Five or six, something like that. Well, I get about halfway, two and a half miles, three miles away from Tom's house, and my car says, you didn't give me any gas this morning, so I'm going to quit right now. All of a sudden, the car cuts off. I pull over, try to start it, try to start it, try to start it. And, you know, my first thought is, well, I'm probably, let's see, either three miles. It's like I was right in the middle, either two or three miles back that way or two or three miles that way. In normal circumstances, it would have been okay. It was cold. And I didn't have a coat. So I'm in a predicament. I'm like, oh my goodness. Of course, first thing that you, your mind wants to do, you stupid idiot. You stupid. See, if you would have, the accuser comes along. See, if you would have stopped and got gas. And of course, that's true. I should have stopped and got gas. That wasn't going to do me any good right then. But that's one thing we have to be careful Stupid, idiot, name-calling, allowing that to come into you. That's an attack. The Bible says we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you, okay? Let me tell you that. When you hear stupid, idiot, that is not the Holy Spirit. He didn't talk like that, does he? Now, I know somebody who does. The accuser. And also our own soul can talk to us that way, especially if we're used to talking to us that way. Or if we've been used to hearing that, then we join in and agree with that and we talk to ourselves that way. But that was the first thing that started coming after me. I said, you know what? And this was so cool. I realized my predicament. I was stuck. I didn't know what I was going to do. Oh, yeah. And guess what? This is I forgot about this part. I forgot to charge my cell phone. I'm serious. I forgot. The, uh, when I was at work, I had my charger with me all day. I forgot my cell phone. I forgot to charge it. So it dies before I leave work, but I don't even think anything of it. So I don't have a cell phone that works. Forgot about that. And I didn't have my car charger either. I had a wall charger. Didn't have a wall. <laughs> so I'm stuck. But here's, here's what I was so excited about. I said, when I realized the situation, I said, you know what? I said, God, if I have to stay here, I said, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to worship and praise you. And I was serious. I'm just going to worship you. And it was like he, didn't, he wasn't for that. He didn't want to stay out in that cold car in the cold weather, I guess. He said, start the car. I said, I already tried that. He said, start the car. Car started. And I made it to the gas station. And then I made it home. Now, the cool thing about that, it could have been disastrous. I could have froze and lost my limbs due to frostbite and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> could have been that, but fortunately it didn't turn out that way. I believe he miraculously helped me. Because I, I was trying to start, it wouldn't work. And you mechanics may know, no, here's what actually happened. Blah, blah, blah. You know. But what, what the Lord showed me was that he was there with me. He cared about me. And he helped me out of that situation. But I determined the cool thing was, and here's what I was excited about, where I was, where I had moved to in my soul was that, okay, here's a bad situation. I did not move into the cussing and fussing and griping and complaining. I, didn't, I skipped that whole phase. I said, God, you know what? I'm just going to praise you. He said, start the car. Like, don't you want me to praise you first? And then he delivered me from that, that <laughs> bad situation. Could have been horrible. So the first thing we have to do, 
is we have to get our soul quiet. And the way we do that is not just sit and stare at a candle and bend our legs and meditate on the candle. It's not just emptying our minds. That's not going to work. I can promise you that if you got hit with something, your soul is full. Just trying to empty your soul is not going to work. There's one thing you have to do. You have to change your perspective. Because see what's going on is your soul is full of hopelessness. Your soul is full of despair and discouragement. And oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm in this situation. See, that's what your soul is full of. So you can't just empty it out. I mean, if you can do that, we need to talk. I need to see how that works. We need to change the contents of our soul. Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, we're speaking mysteries, we're speaking the perfect will of God, worshiping Him, getting my perspective off the problem and onto the problem solver, onto the one who's in charge, who's in control, who's all good, all powerful, all everything. That's what I'm going to lock into. And that's what we have to do. We have to lock into Him. We have to. And once we do that, then we call upon the one who is awesome. And his name is H.S. Holy Spirit. I need help. I need help, Holy Spirit. I, man, I don't know what to do. The Bible says he's, he's been called. His job is to help you. He loves you. He's committed to you. He's committed to you. He has your best interest in mind, your best, your, your goodwill in mind. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to overcome. That doesn't mean he wants you to have your way. There's a difference. He's for you, not against you. And he's God. We have to remember that. Sometimes we don't equate Holy Spirit with God. He is 100% pure. God. And he's here to help us. But here's the catch. We have to listen to what he says. Because see, when we come on the scene and first remember, you got to get your soul quiet. If you go right into prayer, oh God, oh God, what do I do, what do I do, oh God, oh God, oh God, you're not going to be able to hear. And so what will happen is your soul starts throwing answers to you. Ooh, I'll try that. And you start trying this. Start, and it doesn't work. And like, your situation gets worse. Like, man, I tried that prayer, but it just doesn't work. Well, you have to get your soul quiet. And then when you get your soul quiet, you say, well, how long does that take? I have no idea. It may take a few moments. It may take a few hours. It may take days. But you have the time. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? And so when you get your soul quiet, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Ask him for help. He will speak to you. He'll begin to tell you things. And then that's where... See, when you get your soul quiet and you're encouraged, then you listen to what he says. You remember I was telling you guys last week about the uh, situation with the $3,700 and the, the, you know, the car situation. I had that paper. Well, when I realized that I'd been taken or I'd given a guy a, a wonderful love offering of $3,700, When I realized that, and I sat there, it was so funny because I sat there, I was in the nursery right over there, and I was sitting in one of those rockers, and I was waiting for my soul to cave in. I was waiting for, you know, despair, you stupid, it, you know, I was waiting for all that to happen, and it was silence. It didn't, didn't happen. 
It's like you, know, you kind of hold your, you close your eyes waiting for the blow, and the blow didn't happen, so you kind of peek. And it was like something was sustaining me, like holding me in midair, so to speak. And so what I began to do is just begin to worship. Turned on my Bethel music, my Jesus culture, and I started rocking out, jamming, and just God worshiping him. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, you want to, I got something for you to do. And when he says that, it kind of is, there's fear and trembling and, and joy in mix because it's not going to be easy, but I know the results are going to be good. But it's like, am I willing, he asked, am I willing to follow him? Am I willing to take him by the hand and trust him and walk with him? He said, I want you to do something. Now, remember, I just found out that this guy, that I'd given him money, that I wouldn't get him back. And the Holy Spirit told me to do something. He said, I want you to write a letter to this guy. It was an email. And so I wrote this email. I said, hello, Jacob. Now, I don't know if that's his real name or not. That's the name that was coming through the emails. Unless you decide to reply, this is probably the last time we will hear from each other. I've realized that by now, me receiving the car you advertise is a very slim possibility. So I didn't want, let's see, so I didn't want to ask you if there's any possibility, any possible way that you would find in your heart to return the money that I sent you. I know this sounds crazy to ask, but it's worth a shot. I'm not going to beg and give you some sob story as to why I can't afford to lose this kind of money, although I can't, parentheses or quote. And it's, um, and I'm not going to cuss you out, but I thought that I would just ask. So I just asked him, hey, can you give me my money back? If you do not return the money, that would be a tremendous, excuse me, if you do return the money, that would be a tremendous blessing. I will learn from this experience and move on in life a smarter person. If you do not return the money, then I will still learn from this and move in life a smarter person. But either way, there is one thing that I would like to say to you. I am praying that God blesses your socks off. I am praying that you come to realize that he loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die for you so that you could be forgiven and have an incredible relationship with him. My prayer is that every time you think of me, C.J. Ellis, and every dollar of mine that you spend, that you remember just how much he loves you. God has been so good to me and has changed my life dramatically, and I pray the same for you. I am not being sarcastic or insincere in this letter. I mean it with all of my heart. If God is able to change your life as an indirect result of our $3,700 transaction, then it's worth it. You are worth it. I am praying that some, somehow I can recover the $3,700, but I am praying even more for God to remind you of his love for you. Take care, C.J. Ellis. When I wrote that letter, I became free. See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 on, he talks about our enemies, how we're to treat our enemies. You've heard that it was said to love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say, bless your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, et cetera, et cetera. You know that passage. See, the problem wasn't the $3,700. The problem was my soul was held, my soul was held captive by that $3,700. I was in bondage. And the Holy Spirit was saying, let me set you free. I said, okay. I wrote that letter and I meant it. That grace, like I was saying before, the grace of God was there. I meant every word of it. And when I sent that letter, I became free. That's why I can talk about the $3,700 and it doesn't hurt. (laughs) It doesn't sting anymore. It's a wonderful reminder of don't do that again. But I'm really praying. Here's... 
how I hope it plays out. That when I'm in heaven, I'm just standing up there and all of a sudden someone taps on my shoulder and I turn around. And because we'll know things a lot better than we know things now, look at this guy say, Jacob. And he'll say, CJ. And we'll know who each other is. And he, he says to me, hey, I just want to thank you. Because I'm here because of that letter. To me, I'd be worth it. $3,700. You know when we're standing there next to each other in heaven, do you think I'm going to miss that $3,700? If I do, all I have to do is pick up a piece of concrete off the... <laughs> but see, that's the issue right there. God wants us to be, regardless of what we're going through, He wants us free. He wants us free so that we can effectively minister to people who are bound up. There are a lot of people who are full of bitterness, full of anger, resentment, and they are bound. And it's crazy because someone has hurt you. Someone has has, uh, violated your trust. I mean, what they did was wrong. There's no justification for Someone, you know, these people doing this in, on Craigslist and all that kind of stuff. What they did to you was wrong. But somehow for you to think that you being bitter at them is going to help you? Doesn't that sound crazy? Sounds really crazy. I'm never going to forgive you. I'm going to hold on to this. And I'm sitting here year after year after year, just bound by this and rotten away, my soul just being consumed, being tormented. And that person has no clue and they're just living their life. I'm not doing them any harm. If you want to get back at somebody who's harmed you, I'll tell you a secret. Here's how you can get back at them. The ultimate revenge. Get free from the bitterness. Get free. Be free. Because if they hurt you and their, their heart hasn't turned and they're still wanting you to suffer and that kind of thing, and they happen to find out or see that you're free, they'll either speak to them, encourage them, witness to them, or to put them in torment. Because they're like, hey, I wanted you to suffer. But you being in bondage, you being in bitterness and unforgiveness, it is not doing you any good. And God wants to set you free. I'm going to continue this next week. I'm going to ask the the ministry team to come forward, please. I didn't mean to go this long. I apologize for that. But I want to... A couple weeks ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, what's the word for this body? He told me, he says, my kids are going through some hard challenges. That would be y'all, be us. You guys are going through some stuff. Some of your stuff I've, 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 you've told me about, and some of your stuff I don't know, but I just know that, that we're going through some stuff. And the Lord knows you're going through some stuff, and of course I'm belittling, I'm, I'm downplaying that word. Some of you, your, your hearts, your souls are really heavy and hurting, really, really bad. And listen to me, the Holy Spirit is not condemning you right now. He's bringing conviction. 
He's bringing conviction, but he's also drawing you, saying, will you take me by the hand? Will you trust me? You need to tell those voices that are calling you stupid to shut up in Jesus' name. Every lie that is trying to speak to you, we command it to shut up in Jesus' name. I just want to give you the opportunity. We're going to continue more and talk more practical things. What do we do? I want to encourage you this week to talk to him, pray, worship, pray in tongues if you have your prayer language. But what I want to invite you to do is come and just receive a, a, a dump of grace. Boom. Come be infused with, with courage. You know, to be encouraged or like if you encourage somebody, that means to impart courage. And some of us need an impartation of courage. We're just tired. Man, God, I'm hurting. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. And guess what? He says, I know. But come, step forward and let him just begin to love on you. Love on you. So what we're going to do after I pray, I'm going to uh, ask Omid to just play some music. And then I'm going to dismiss. But those of you who want to come up for prayer, I want to invite you to come up. And just, just be loved on. And those of you who um, you don't need to or whatever, if you would just respect the Holy Spirit and respect what he's doing and just, you know, if you're going to leave, you, you're welcome to stay and just, and just pray and just, just soak in his presence. Uh, but if you need to go, you're welcome, welcome to go. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are awesome. You are so awesome, God. And you are so good, even when we don't understand. I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that your grace is here to minister and love on your kids. Thank you, Father, that you love us that way. And I pray your blessing on everyone here as they leave, as they go. And Lord, I pray that there just be a lot of time individual time hanging out with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.